I immigrated from Ethiopia um, back in 2013. People tend to assume that Africa is a whole one country, but there are 54 or 53 countries in it. I had that lack of uh, access to technology, number one. We had like once per week for one hour computer classes. It's not like I had a mentor. I never had a mentor until 2020. It's been only five years since I discovered the, the field, but I'm, this is my third role. I currently work as a cloud security engineer at a Fortune 500 organization, and I started uh, as an intern, you know, as an IT intern, interning in different uh, departments. Just getting started with this long journey that we call life. What are you hoping to see next? Who says tech can't be human? Valley fam, welcome back to the show. With me, I have someone special. I do a lot of research on all my guests, but this guest today, I had to put a little bit of extra love and attention into because they're doing some amazing work in the world of cybersecurity. My guest this episode describes himself as an immigrant from Ethiopia, a mother of four, a multi-award-winning cybersecurity advocate, and a four-time best-selling author and TEDx speaker. My guest this episode is Zanette Kamal. Zanette, you've done a lot of amazing things. Uh, the next thing I'd love to add to that long list of recognition is guest on Hacker Valley Studio. Most importantly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Ron. You, you know, Chris and you all know that I've been a long time fan of Hacker Valley Media <laughs> from distant and closely until we finally had a chance to meet in person uh, last month or yeah. December of 2020. So, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, it feels like I've known you for so long, but we haven't really had a a conversation until we saw each other at the Difference Makers Awards, which is kind of crazy, but I'm glad that you're finally a guest on the show that we finally get a chance to see and speak to each other more. You are everywhere on LinkedIn. Um, and if anyone doesn't know you, I would already recommend them to check you out. All of Zanette's information is in the show notes, but we're going to be going over all about your background. I wanted to start with something that might help tell the story of who you are as a person. Um, you know, the first mentioned that I said was immigrant from Ethiopia. You know, let's go back a little bit and kind of tell us about the journey from Ethiopia to the U.S., you know, especially since that's a core pillar of your story that you commonly refer to. Yeah. Um, so like you mentioned, I am an immigrant from Ethiopia. Ethiopia is um, Eastern part of Africa. People tend to assume that Africa is a whole one country, but there are 54 or 53 countries in it. So um, I immigrated from Ethiopia um, back in 2013. Uh, so it's been 10 years since I moved to the U.S. and I currently reside in Minnesota. Uh, growing up, well, I grew up, I was born and raised in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. And um, I studied law, you know, uh, mm. and then I, I worked before I came to the U.S. I worked in the legal field, first as a legal intern and then as a, a legal advisor at a government agency. So that was like a, 
a summarized version of like my legal career before I decided to come to the U.S. Uh, of course, with my husband and my uh, uh, oldest, who is 14 now, uh, but at the time he was three, three and a half. So, um, yeah, so uh, born and raised like a normal child, a normal African child, I would say, but I wanted to become, uh, I guess, as a child, a doctor, I guess, a medical doctor just because that was what is praised to become, I guess. Um, so, and then, you know, when I went to college, it was, my parents wanted me to mostly go to the legal field because I was afraid of math and the natural <laughs> sciences. It's a different uh, educational system there. So if you choose a certain field, natural sciences, you can go to, you know, computer science and being a doctor. But if you chose, um, social sciences field, then you are only limited to pursuing a certain amount of um, fields like uh, economics, business, uh, and legal field as well. So uh, the legal field was sort of chosen by my mother because she thought that, you know, that's where the money is, I guess. <laughs> the parents sort of chose for me, but I had a good, but I had a good time in the uh, law school there because I was able to represent the university in different legal moot courts. Uh, one in Dakar, Senegal in 2017 uh, for uh, an African human rights moot court competition. And then uh, in 2018 in the U.S. So uh, I came here before 2013 <laughs> to the U.S. in D.C. to participate in international moot court competition representing the university. Uh, you know, the, the whole ICJ uh, representing as a respondent and defendant. And we would have that for multiple countries around the world. Uh, so I had that exposure. And then when I came here, you know, I've always been fascinated to go into the tech tra technology and understand technology uh, because of also I had that lack of uh, access to technology, number one. Mm. I, I think I talked about this multiple places that the only class we had in high school, 11th grade and 12th grade was we had like once per week for one hour computer classes and we would be sitting in groups of three to four students and we would be fighting to get a chance to get a stroke at the, the computer keyboard even. Like that was pretty much what we have and what we learned was DOS and uh, Word, I guess. Um, that was it and until 12th grade. And then even in college, like I, I, in law school, you don't have computing or math classes. It's a, a whole different thing. You learn family law, civil law, international and human rights law, of course. But uh, nothing, you know, math or computing. So that was a whole different experience coming here and venturing into a whole different technology uh, school or, or career. So that sums it up. But if you have a specific question, I'll be happy to answer. Yeah, that is that is interesting, uh, especially, you know, I, I would imagine that a lot of people probably didn't have computer classes all throughout their high school. But, you know, to fight over a set of computers or a single computer is challenging. It kind of reminds me of me, when I was growing up, I was so obsessed with the computer. And the one place I was able to really use a computer was at my house. We had a family computer. And my sisters also loved to use the computer. And it always made it like a challenge. So uh, what I did at some point was I installed Linux on it, just because I knew at that point they would be a little less interested in using the computer, but they still, they still managed their way. Uh, one thing that really, you know, stands out about who you are, especially when people uh, see you on LinkedIn or they type your name into Google, are all your books. You have quite a few books. 
And your books, you know, really speak to, I think, the the, the younger generation. They speak to children. They speak to uh, young adults. Um, so was there anything in your childhood or, you know, your upbringing, looking back at your time in Ethiopia and transitioning to the U.S., that really made you, like, want to speak to that specific uh, demographic? That's a good question. And earlier, when you talk about the computer access, and because my name was starting with Z, we always have more than three students at my table, for sure, <laughs> because it's always the W's, X's, everyone is just like, come to the Z. But yeah, uh, growing up, like I said, like we, I, I always talk about this, I think. Um, I, we, I never had a children book of my own, like a storybook. Of course, we would have textbooks for school, but we don't really have like children's book. I don't know if things change right now, but growing up, that wasn't the case for me. And we don't have access to like public libraries. And um, so I didn't realize that until I published my first children's book in 2021, Proud and Her Hijab. And then I, um, the, the book was cataloged in a library in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, and it, that day when I went there and checked it out and my husband took a picture of me there and it just hit me like, um, I had that experience, and the first time I had the opportunity to read a children's book was when I was a sixth grader, and it was the Amharic. Amharic is the the national language for Ethiopia. There are different languages. Um, we have 80 ethnic groups in Ethiopia. We have 80 different languages. It's a very um, rich culture um, of their own. So um, I, the first book that I read is the Amharic translation of Pinocchio, you know, the, the oh. kid who, when he lies, the nose grows. So it's the Amharic translation. So I remember in one sitting, I had that opportunity from a public library. It was such an unusual visit. And I had the opportunity to read that from cover to cover because I couldn't risk uh, not finishing the story if I had to leave midway because I even recalled that I was hungry like doing that, but if I stopped reading that, there I wouldn't have the opportunity. So I was I, I couldn't risk that. So I remember reading it all, um, and I remember it was like a thick book. So that day when I went there to see my book catalog in the library, uh, because when we moved here um, to the U.S., I used to take my little ones uh, to a public library. I in fact made sure that we rented an apartment on a building of a public library in Saint Paul. That oh. one has a long story of its own. <laughs> yes, because I keep calling the property manager, and this was in 2013, just the, the year that we moved here. So I keep calling the manager, and there's a wait, a long wait list. It's like in the center of the city in St. Paul, in Minnesota. So I keep I called him, and he would always tell me that there's a long waiting list because I called so many times to check. <laughs> that the person said, you know what, you can have the apartment. So we ended up um, getting that apartment. So I used to take my kids to that public library for read alouds and they would sit in. Um, and then I would just, I, I used to get so fascinated about the amount of books and you can take them outside. Like you can rent them and read them at home and just the, the picture book, the richness of the story in the books, it just used to fascinate me. And I'm talking 10 years back. So I think, you know, to have my books getting cataloged in the same library. And I posted mm. it saying that here, here are my little kids. They're now grown like fifth grade and third grade, but they were babies at that time. And I used to take them for story time, like at least two, two days a, uh, a week. 
And then now to have that my actual book getting a catalog in that same library, it was just a different, uh, just a full circle moment. But to get back to your question, I guess the NAVs having that and just being a mother um, and then also how cybersecurity actually could benefit from going back to the basics and then just um, speaking the in a language that a sixth grader would understand is so valuable. Yeah. And I think that's why like my books are from six to 14 year old and my other, the latest one, see yourself in cybersecurity is for, for, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, uh, speaking in a simple language, um, and it, to understand that. Cause if you, if you, if you don't write relatable stories, it's hard to connect with the kids and that's the whole premise of it. But going back to childhood, the only thing I have with books is like, I used to love books, but I didn't have the access to it. So it was just, yeah. One thing that stood out to me um, along this way is that when, whenever you mention Minnesota, like I, I got goosebumps. Like I, I got, cause I, I think about the climate and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, coming from Ethiopia and visiting DC for the first time, I'm not sure what month you visited. I'm from the DMV and I know that it could be, it could be a little rough. And then, but Minnesota is a whole different ball game. So what, what was that like? Was it a culture shock for you to, you know, come, you know, one, you had the culture shock of having access to a library, but what about the people and, and whatnot, you know, moving to a, a place like uh, Minnesota? It's what you said. I mean, you already know it. So Ethiopia is known for a, a 13 months of sunshine. That means um, we have 13 months, I guess, the, we have an extra month. We have our own calendar. Um, back then, back there, it's now 2005, I guess, eight years back. So we have our own calendar and stuff. So um, it's um, it's a warm country, right? Like it's average. It's like every time is a spring there um, or fall-ish um, yeah. when we never saw snow. So this is the first time I've seen snow here. And then the month that we arrived is, good thing I don't forget details, is January of 2013. It's like the next day after New Year. It's yeah. very, it was very cold and very snowy at that time. So coming here, and at that time, I was seven months pregnant with my second child. And uh, we have a three-year-old with us. And I have to be on a plane quickly before I give birth because you're not allowed to fly, I think, after a certain time. I don't know if that thing changed. But back then, like, I had to have a doctor's written something for me right. to go. And then when we came here, it's like it's dark and like how is, we were generally wondering, like, who are people living here? Like, how are people living here? <laughs> and still, I get affected. My days are not the same when the sun is out and when it's not. It's just a different experience. So, yeah, we came here not knowing anybody really. Uh, we only knew someone uh, um, that my husband knew from high school. And they just mm. communicated on Facebook Messenger that, that she's located here. That's the only reason. Because people would ask me, all the states, why did you choose Minnesota? And that's the reason. Um, and she happens to be living here. So she welcomed us for only four days. And then she had to go back to Ethiopia because she had not been to uh, Ethiopia in eight years since she, since she left. So she just has like showed us, um, welcomed us in her home, very generous. And then she had to leave. So it was pretty much on our own afterwards. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a long journey, but um, it gets better each year. And then, you know, you get to know people and then acclimate yourself. Yeah. 
And it's all, it's all about community. It's all about culture and family. And I would imagine that when you t- decided to switch from the legal profession into cybersecurity, maybe there was a entry point for you to kind of like cling on to, whether it's a friend, mentor, a book that you love. How did you make that transition from legal to cybersecurity? That is a very interesting question. None of that. None of that. So for me, it was like in the beginning, once once I had, so we moved here in January and in April, I had my second child. Uh, it's my first daughter. She's 10 now. Uh, and then right after I had her, it was like continuous thinking of where do I want to go from here? Because I knew that I wasn't going to continue in the legal field. So I kept um, telling myself like I was choosing I knew that I was going to go into technology but I wasn't sure which direction so it took a lot of a lot of uh, months of thinking of where I want to go um, so uh, so that same fall is when I went back to school to community college that is local uh, in St. Paul Minnesota so um, I just started a, I just took a, a placement taste in um, in a local community college to go back to um, studying computer programming, which is crazy. And that now looking back, like it takes a lot of courage, like for not having uh, math classes or anything taken. Of course, I did take in high school, but nothing in law school space. So, and then not, nothing that would connect you with that. So, um, I signed up for a computer program. I remember I took my daughter with. Uh, somebody was holding from the outside of the room when I was taking the placement test to go back to college. Um, I took the placement test and I was placed in all of my major classes, which is also dangerous. At the same time, it's good time saving that I, I wasn't required to take any math classes or English classes, which is good because mm. a lot of people take time in getting up to speed with that one. So I was fortunate enough in that regard. But then jumping into all of the courses, operating system, like just the core classes of computer science, although it's a two-year um, associate degree program in computer programming, specifically Java. So for two years, I took that and graduated in 2016 uh, with computer programming. Still didn't figure out where I want to go or how I want to work. I just wanted to work in, like learn tech and be in technology, I guess. So it wasn't good enough for me. So at that point, I did a, a transfer to a four-year degree university to do computer science bachelor's degree again. And that was completed in 2018. And you can notice that by that time, I already have my third child. And um, so during that um, computer science uh, program in undergrad is when I discovered cybersecurity. And that is through my participation in a cyber defense uh, competition. It's called CCDC. It's a Minnesota Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. That opportunity came to the school and I wasn't sure still until senior year besides, you know, doing all the math classes, all the math classes I run away back in Ethiopia, they all came back to me in full force. <laughs> that, like all kinds of math. I'm talking about all kinds of math for computer science degree. And I just discovered that I wasn't bad at math. I was just running away from it for no reason. So I, I took uh, all of those classes and then senior in year, um, I had that opportunity to participate in a cyber defense competition. Long story short, it was a full class of students who registered to participate in that competition, but only eight people were needed to represent the university. 
Um, so that exposure of self-learning for five months on Saturdays and outside of the full-time class I was doing, and at that time I was also doing uh, IT internship at a local government here, I, I'm just glad that I stuck out because it was difficult. And then just getting selected to represent the university to participate mm-hmm. gave me like a sneak peek of what security might look like because that was the only exposure that I had of cybersecurity because never heard of it. Even you would think that computer science classes would have security classes, but that wasn't the case up until 2017. And I'm talking this late 2017 and then the competition was early 2018. That's when we represented the university and we uh, came out third place uh, in from Minnesota colleges and universities in that cyber defense competition. And from then on, I never looked back because I, I just, I thought that like I found my place, like I love doing security. So um, there were a lot of um, opportunities for underrepresented um, folks in the university in terms of like getting scholarship to get CompTIA certification. So I got certified in network class, security class, CYC class, and that's how I got into security. So I would, I always mention about CC, the CCDC competition. The CCDC is life-changing. I, I also participated in CCDC when I was going to community college Ooh. Uh, back in, this was like 2010, 2011. And it was life-changing for me because I thought as a young kid that I was the best at cybersecurity. I thought I knew everything growing up. And when I went to CCDC, I got to see the the skill set of not only the people that are, you know, you're defending against with the competition, the attackers, but also all the other participants, the other colleges. Uh, West Point was there. They ultimately won the competition and it was it was a wake up call, but in a, in the best way. You know, you said that uh, community isn't a wasn't a part of the the transition, but it sounds like you know underneath of the that story there there is the element of of community and this maybe community college and university. Um, I feel like when I look back at my career, especially you know the the beginning is always the hardest. It was being around other people and seeing that I wasn't the only one with questions, seeing that, hey, I actually excel in some of these areas in ways that I had no other measurement against until being around others. Um, And I I would imagine that, you know, maybe there was some of that aspect for you as well, where, you know, speaking to an instructor or speaking to your classmates, having someone hold your baby, that is beautiful to be able to, you know, go and take that entry exam and, and get your way back into school. Oh, and I had to take two breaks because I ended up listening to the baby cry. And then I'm like, bathroom break. But I ended up, go- but I told them when I joined, like, I had to nurse the baby. Cause that's the only nutrient, like food that the baby has because the baby was young. <laughs> so I, I, I remember that I had to get out to nurse twice. Um, I always tell that story. But you're right what you said. Um, my story isn't like you pivot from legal to security, but it's like a complete reset in terms of like I had to do all of the schooling from uh, from um, associate degree. And you, yeah, that is a community, for of course. And then uh, doing um, the undergrad school in computer science and to discover that. I mean, that was, I guess, the journey meant for me to discover that is to go through all that schooling and then discover that. Uh, the CCDC, and then also the professor who brought up that idea. Like, if it wasn't for him, he is the one who said, "I will be coaching for a cyber defense competition 
uh, representing mm-hmm. the school. So who would be willing to get recruited? Uh, and I joined that. So initially when I answered that question, it's like, it's not like I had a mentor. I never had a mentor until 2020. And, and you know, my mentor is his AJ, AJR, um, and until 2020. And it, it's just, I grew up in a culture where we weren't taught that you, you could have a mentor or, you know, it's like always like struggle and figure it out on your own. And I'm learning that that isn't the case all the time. Like it's, it's okay to, to ask for help. It's okay to have, it's, it's very valuable. Now I advocate for it. Like it's good to have mentors who can help you and make things easier for you because um, that's the whole point of it, right? It's, a, it's the difference between struggle and, 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 you know, getting the helps that you need without it. So when we had our call before the podcast, I mentioned one of your books, uh, Oh No, Hacked Again. And I, I asked you, I was like, hey, has, was, was this about you? Was this about someone in your life? And then you let me know that your kids have been hacked. So that that was mind blowing to me. But I thought, wow, that's a really cool reason to write a book. It, it applies to the things that you know. What's the story behind um, Oh No, Hacked Again? Like, what's the story behind getting that initial seed for, for writing it? Yeah. So Oh No, Hacked Again is my second children's book. Uh, as you can see it in the background. Oh, I have it. Let's see. Yeah. This is it. I don't know if you can see it. Okay. Um, yeah. So these are all my kids. Um, in 2020, <laughs> late 2021, you know, it was the midst of the pandemic and our kids were... Uh, let's say they were playing a little bit of too much gaming online, um, you know, and also that was also their means of socializing, socializing with other people, their friends, their cousins, and, and maybe strangers, you know, you never know with online games. Um, so they got hacked not once, but I think twice on different occasions and another attempt with online predator, which got averted mm. by mom. Um, and you know, so when those things happened, it just gave me like a wake up call. Okay. Like we are very quick to give these kids the gadgets and the tablets they need and connect them to the internet. And we're, you know, we're busy usually. Um, and at that time, you know, we're working from home. I was in grad school and then, um, and there was also a baby at that time, like the fourth one. So it was like, it's just a wake up call, like seeing the kids um, getting hacked in two different in, in different occasions, and then also I would see on social media, parenting social media groups that um, they were posting like my kids got hacked, and he's asking me to buy this and this, you know, the di- digital coins. I'm not gonna name specific games, digital currencies, but they were asking their parents to buy and replace for them, and how they're seeing it's such a serious thing, and you know they get hacked and lose control of their accounts. Usually, we would, they, they would cry. Like, this is a serious business to them. Yeah. And they would ask for their accounts to be, the digital currencies to be replaced for them and that type of thing. So, and at that time, I just finished uh, publishing and released my first children's book, Proud and Nerdy Child. And then this happened. So I'm like, okay, this is happening. It's likely happening in other places as well. So let's write our story, right? Let's share this. And I haven't found a lot of literatures for their age group also teach about online safety and technology, you know, safe use of it. Um, so what I did was just, I just shared those instances and scenarios of the hacks that happened with my kids and then the potential online predator um, incident. 
and then you know just wrote it in a language that's understandable for six to fourteen year old, and it, the story was told from the perspective of Ilham, one of my daughter who got also hacked, uh, and she's narrating the story. So it's really beautiful because every time I go for author visits, um, I ask them like, who plays online game? Everybody raises their hand. They tell stories about how they got hacked. Initially, they were like, okay, let's listen to the story. An author is here. But once I asked that question, they're like very eager asking questions. Like they were asking like, is this you? Are, this, are they real? Is that like, have you ever been hacked? You know, like all those conversations would be sparked and they would ask interesting questions. So this is meant to start a um, great conversation on how to protect our kids about online safety. And then also how to um, create that exposure for our younger children to work in cybersecurity because all we know that cybersecurity is not diverse, gender or racial wise. So, uh, and they see someone uh, who's who looks like me in in the characters of the book, mm-hmm. uh, saving the day, sort of advising the hacked, uh, you know, girl in the book how to and giving her advice and that type of thing and recovering from it. So. Um, it has got two important messages, but there are also subtle messages within the book in terms of advocating for diversity within the industry and also encouraging our young uh, children to see them to see themselves. I mean, it wasn't thought at that point with the third book, but it sort of laid a foundation for because the kid was saying the main character was saying that she wants to become a cybersecurity professional when she grow up because of. Mm. How, what she sees in her mom and she would and knowing and she talks about how what they do this is what my mom does by the way so I want to be like her you know kind of thing so it made kind of a foundation for the other one which happened to be it's not even a series but that's how it turned out to be so that was the foundation I mean the book since I wrote that I, I was able to connect with a lot of children in, in terms of having this uh, important conversation as well as doing some good, uh, you know, TV and media segments with Good Morning America, Eleven Alive, uh, in Atlanta, and also the uses you here in Minnesota, different media places. So it's been a great experience so far, and continues to make uh, impact in terms of my TEDx as well, which I have done um, last year, towards the end of last year, in um, ensuring um, children's online safety. And how do we empower them in their online safety journey? It's about that. It's all online. It's it's very um, kind of uh, striking to me because like one aspect of security that I think I overlook as an individual is children's safety and children's security. And I think that when you look at something like Fortnite, like a lot of kids love to play Fortnite, that's part of their identity. They have, like you're saying, they have their own currency. If they lose that money, it's almost like they're losing equivalent to adult money like that it's it feels that real for a kid i'm curious what would young zanette say about this book like what do you think your reaction would be after reading oh no hacked again as a young young zanette i think i would say like someone saw us (laughs) i would say someone so like we're like this is an important conversation um i think you know in terms of I would understand that, okay, there is a career that is there to work in this space. And at the same time, also, um, I mean, my growing up is different from my kids here. So mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm putting myself in my, in my kids' shoes. 
And from the feedbacks that I got from them is that, because uh, they're always my validations in terms of every time I write books, because they're heavily involved in the book production process and the self-publishing journey. And they would always, I always check with them because like, they're in different age groups, like 13 and a half, 10 and nine. And I would ask them, what do you think of this? And they would say like, oh, this is absolutely great. Like, this is something that I want to read because it's relatable. Like, I, that's what I find out. Like, number one, the kids love um, those gaming stories and hacks and at yeah. least something happened in each family. That's what I found out. And then what better way to relate and relay important information such as uh, online safety and cybersecurity and online privacy other than something that they can relate to or something that they love. And I think online gaming is one of the tools uh, to go about it instead of just talking about cybersecurity, what it is and define it. And I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it's part of their daily lives. I think yeah. that recognizing that is very important and then weaving that uh, into what they love and what they do on a daily basis. And and this doesn't have to be um, about, you know, gamers, although the story revolves around someone who got hacked while gaming, or this also involves in chatting, being online for educational purpose, just surfing the internet for whatever reason as a kid and what are some of the things that they should be um, careful about, having important conversation with the parent. I think that's the main theme of the book is at the back of the book, I usually have what are some of the themes that are drawn from the story of the book is that sparking important conversation with the parent and having an open communication with the parent. Like the goal is to have whenever they run into issues online so that they feel comfortable to come and be able to have conversation with their parents. I think that's the whole premise of it because Kids try to resolve whatever they run into on their own. And we all know that the digital and the physical world is getting blurred every day. And it can quickly turn, that digital life could turn quickly into a physical danger. Um, let's say they're talking to someone who's a stranger. And because um, whatever you see online is just the avatar and who appears mm -hmm. to be a kid, a 13-year-old boy or girl could be a grown man looking to harm them. So they could be saying in the chat, they get too comfortable and they, they could say, you know, um, I happen to be in a neighborhood if they happen to share their location or address and they say they want to come and say hi and boom, that turned out to be a physical danger now. So just yep. uh, having open and routine conversation with our children about their risks of online safety apart from the benefits of it and then, you know, just having them feel comfortable to come to us whenever they run into issues is, I think, the, the main thing that I emphasized in the TEDx and also in this book. So important. You know, you've done a lot, you know, not even just looking at your cybersecurity career, but just your, your journey as a person. And, you know, on you just had your TEDx uh, talk. You just got another award from the Sands Difference Makers Awards. Uh, and I, I would imagine that your future is very bright. You're just getting started. You're just getting started with this long journey that we call life. What are you hoping to see next? Yeah, I mean, I I currently work as a cloud security engineer at a Fortune 500 organization. And I started uh, as an intern, you know, as an IT intern, interning in different uh, departments before getting my first role in information security auditing at a local government, then transitioning to the state government 
um, and getting promoted six months later to become a senior information security engineer. And then to my current role at, you know, at this Fortune 500 organization, Best Buy. I mean, like you said, you know, it's been a, a fast progression. Uh, it's been only five years since I discovered the, the field, but I'm, this is my third role. And uh, on top of, you know, getting that one, you know, just, just the continuous learning, right? Because after I graduated from that, the CCDC, discovering the field, the certifications, IT interning, and then also, uh, you know, getting the first role to the second one and the third one. But in the meantime, I was doing uh, grad school and I just graduated last year from Georgia Tech University with my master's degree in cybersecurity. So I would say, you know, like just the, the learning continues and it doesn't have to be in a formal education format. Uh, I was also doing relevant security certifications, be it in cloud security or otherwise. Um, so the, the career progression comes in, um, you know, as long as you keep learning and that's what requires, the field requires that continuous learning. So um, my, I, I don't have like in five years, I want to get to this position or to this place, but I, I, I know that I love the field um, and that's why I continue to solve problems as I see them through my speaking or uh, the TEDx or my publishing books. But I continue to learn um, and um, continue to make impacts and enable the business because that's what we're doing in, in, in security. So um, I would say like just become a good uh, thought leader within the industry. That's how I always say like uh, I don't have like a goal of like in five years I want to be a C. So I, I don't I've never said that and I don't see that right now and I don't want to lie to myself. Like I, I, I still don't know where to go, but as right now I work in cloud security um, and I love it and I'm learning so many things and that's the beauty of uh, getting challenged and learning every day it makes it exciting in this industry like uh, most of us agree, would agree. Powerful. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. And what I would recommend for anyone is to check out this show notes or description, wherever you're listening or watching, get the book, uh, watch the TEDx talk. Also check out the LinkedIn course. It will be live by the time this airs. So check out the description and be sure to connect with Zanette. Zanette, you are awesome. I love all the work that you're putting out. Uh, wanted to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking some time out of your busy day to jump on the mics and record with us. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Zanette, be sure to check out the show notes or description wherever you're listening or watching. And with that, we will see everyone next time.